another episode of the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew. My blog is comicsfondle.com. I'm here with Vernon, Vernon Wiley. No, not no, not Vernon Wiley. Just Vernon Wiley. You know, no, just kidding. Just Vernon, Vernon, Vernon. Anyway, Vernon. Uh, yeah, Vernon, just Vernon. And uh, I'm the proprietor of the Comics Gallery, uh, a fine comic retail establishment in Wilmette, Illinois, on the North Shore Lakefront. And this is our monthly, we are doing it every month now, we're being very good about that, it is our monthly podcast where we talk about a bunch of comic books and other news of the comic industry, and uh, it is March 2015, we should probably, since we are monthly, we can have episodes for each month. So we're going to start off right now talking about, uh, not an issue per se, but we're going to talk about uh, Boom's Curb Stomp versus Images Bitch Planet, uh, talking about the new Batgirl from DC, Abigail and the Snowman from Kaboom, and then Princess Leia. So we're talking about the girl comics right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of girl comics. Yeah, there are. Uh, girls in sci-fi. And uh, anyway, the, the, the whole thing with Curb Stomp versus uh, Bitch Planet, um, I was thinking, oh, okay, it's not really a versus, but what is which one's more successful? Because they're both like girl-featured uh, comics, and both had their pluses and minuses. And, uh, you know, Andrew and I have, uh, you know, like mixed feelings about both the messages and how they're delivered, perhaps, in some, you know? Yeah. Curbstomp, I think Curbstomp was more your favorite than mine. Yeah, and I mean, I... Uh... You know, Bitch Planet, I've been waiting for it to get going, and I keep reading good things about it, and that last issue really did not impress me very much. Well, you know, and there's a caveat i got to tell you that I forgot about. In the back matter to one of the books, I forget which issue it was, she did say that the regular person was going to do two two issues, and then it was punctuated by a single standalone featuring one of the crew. So that threw you off, especially with the art style, I bet it did. It really did, and I mean, the art style Vernon's talking about is, it's nearly cheesecake, I would call it, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, but the the protagonist is anti-cheesecake, right? The the protagonist is anti-cheesecake, but the art style, I guess. Right, And I was just a little thrown by it, and, uh, yeah, I don't know, I I didn't like it being a fill-in so quick. Yeah. I've only read of Kelly Sue DeConnick. I've only ever read, uh, let's see now. I read Osborne yeah. because you told me to. Yeah, that was I, good. That was good. And I read Pretty Deadly, which was awesome. Yeah. So we and, had some patience, I think. Yeah, so we did. I have read some, it, but I have not read anything that she's most famous for. Like, she's most famous for, uh, what is it now? Uh, Marvel. The Marvel one with uh, Linda Danvers, right? Yes. Captain yes. Marvel. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah, yeah. Marvel. And I'm not, you know, particularly a Captain Marvel. You know, I, I kind of meant to read it, and I just never got around to it. Well, you're not the target audience, most likely, anyway. But anyway, Curb Stomp and Bitch Planet. I, you know. You're right, though. The third issue with the fill-in, uh, especially if you didn't read the back matter, and you know what? You shouldn't have to read the back matter, okay? Yeah. A comic has to stand on its own, and you can argue back and forth about that. But I'm like, you know what? It's it's a jarring way to start the third issue because you think you're going to start back into the story again, and it doesn't work that way. Uh, it focuses in on one of the protagonists. But in strange ways, uh, maybe to this ignorant male's eyes, 
it was the most successful for me in terms of uh, getting across that viewpoint, or at least it was like I, being an ignorant male, um, I did not quite understand, you know, like the precious society puts on women to be glorious uh, objects and icons and uh, that it doesn't men, or at least no men I know. And uh, it was kind of an interesting issue for me. I wouldn't say it was necessarily an eye opener, but it, it provided a different point of view that I wasn't familiar with. And the done in one worked out okay. So I guess on one hand, I, I want to say that I have problems with Bitch Planet pretty much along the same lines you do. And you could probably skip one and two and just buy three and use that as a <laughs> How's that sound? You know, it, it almost seems like that. And I, I don't like the series feeling that disconnected. Because um, this is Super not... Early. Yeah, this is not what... Uh, this is not what uh, Pretty Deadly feels like at all. Pretty Deadly was no. a you know, very refined comic. And this one just doesn't feel that refined to me. Um, it's, it, it suffers from the, the plot thingy, you know, like we could turn this into a media development project, you know. You know, yeah, and we complain about that all the time, so... Yeah, yeah. I know it, 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 that's one thing that's going to be a problem with the up-and-coming sci-fi is what hasn't been done and what hasn't been done in comics, you know, and can you successfully do sci-fi in comics? That'll right. be a problem, you know? Now, Curb Stomp was, was an animal of a different color. Um, it was a little more punky and raw and unrefined. And intentionally and, so, which which yeah. I appreciated a lot more than I thought I would. Um, th another big difference is Curb Stomp is, I believe, written by a guy and drawn by a woman versus Bitch Planet, which is written by a woman and drawn by a guy. Don't confuse me. I'm sorry. So I just thought that, yeah, the punky aspect of it was far more successful because he was going for an affected style. And it just, it just, worked better for me. Um, and I, I mean, Bitch Planet, it's like we have a lot of enthusiasm for it conceptually. I want to root for Kelly Sue DeConnick. I, I felt it was shitty when Marvel didn't invite her to the summit or whatever a couple of years ago. And, uh, her the husband, women go to do women go to those they things? They do now. I believe G. Okay. Willow Wilson went to the last summit, which means not only do women go to the summit, but they have Muslim women Muslim at the women summit. Muslim women at the summit. Oh, my God. Where's the world going to? I know. It's kind of amazing. So, you know, I, I, I root for her, and Pretty Deadly was really good stuff. Pretty Deadly was scary, disturbing. I mean, it was just... It was just a good comic, um, and we it was talked lyrical yeah. too. Yeah. So, Bitch Planet, I had high hopes for, and it just never delivered on the first one. It it, it seemed cheap. It's kind of doing an exploitation seventies Pam Greer in prison movie thing, but not really. And I don't know. Yeah. Curb Stomp is doing punk rock girls post apocalyptic. That's all it cares about doing. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of odd because it's kind of a, oh, it's like one of those DIY do-it-yourself type indie books only with professional coloring and production and right. printing, 
And it looks like it, it might be a little better if it looked a little rougher around the edges because it, it looks like a, a, a kind of a semi-slick product, even though it really isn't. It's not written like a slick product, no. and it's certainly not drawn like a slick no, product. No, it's very surprising from Boom, actually, that at this point they're still doing uh, – they're still letting such unrefined things get out there. Yeah, yeah. And that's I mean, weird. it's good, but – Yeah, you know. good, but, but printed on really goddamn good paper with computer colors is just like – Wow, this is overkill. This thing really doesn't need this, you know. And but it, you know what? It worked out. I think you're right. It left a better taste in my mouth, even though Curb Stomp to me wasn't successful. Uh, ultimately, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I'm an older guy and I can't get into young punk chick comics. But um, yeah, I felt the opposite way. I felt Curb Stomp was a little, a little bit not enough meat. And uh, the the threatening between the gangs was okay. It was kind of West Side Story-ish, but it didn't really amount to anything. There was an extreme lack of graphic violence, I thought. So I, was, I wasn't quite worried of that. For people that are supposed to be – Not enough graphic well, right. violence. Well, they were, they were, they're supposed to be kicking the shit out of each other, right? And like nobody really gets hurt. They kidnap one of their members and the girls stand there and watch. And I'm like, oh, man, this is really silly. But anyway, uh, it's kind of interesting how they both had different opposite effects on us, the comic book. I, I got a kick out of that anyway. It is, except, uh, you know, Curb Stomp's only four or five issues, right? I'm kind of hoping that that means it'll it'll go someplace, it'll get there, and it'll be done, as opposed to Bitch Planet, which at this point is, like, kind of threatening to be there forever. Well, at least for a while. I guess we better get those no-compliance tattoos for our butts now. Let's see here. Moving on, the big, the big eight hundred pound elephant in the room. Um, what are we talking about? The end of the second superhero age. Well, no, we didn't feel- finish talking about. I want to let's real quick talk about uh, the, oh, the girl Slayer comic. Yeah, the girl yeah, yeah. Comics. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Get that going. Yes, yes. So, real quick, um, I was reading the new Princess Leia, which surprisingly enough, Vernon recommended to me. It was adequate. It was adequate, and it was not eh, as successful as I was hoping it would be. I thought that it gave – I thought that our good friend Mark Wade had a real chance to do like a a Disney princess thing, turn Princess Leia into a Disney – into the, you know, butt-kicking Disney princess, and he really didn't. Um, No, they played it safe at the end there. Well, the Terry Dodson art really – not sure how I feel about that. I felt Terry Dotson's art on the book was a little more relaxed than the really heavily, um, what's that, photoshopped work by uh, Cassidy, I think his name oh, was. on, on, the, the, uh, on the other one, yeah. yeah. Well, the other one's just special on its own. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, Dotson kind of drew it, which is nice because the other two is a LaRocca on Darth Vader. I haven't read I that one. I didn't read that one. Right. But it, it gave it a nice casual quality that was nice. But you're right. It was just short of an effort you'd think they'd go for Star Wars as far as that's concerned. Yeah. So I just noticed because I was reading because Bad Girl is very painfully trying to be this girl, proto girl comic. And they're, they're, the writers are all around talking about it and so on and so forth. It, it's very intentional. It's very. Bell's hip. It's very hip. Yes, exactly. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're the wrong audience. I don't I, know. I, I, we're getting to a point where 
I, I didn't read the Secret Origins tie-in, but what is this that like Barbara's going to have Oracle in her in her spinal cord or something? And right. I'm just kind of like, this is not. You guys are well, just. It works. It works. It does it. Okay. It's it works within the context of creating a villain or another uh, uh, another protagonist or a pseudo protagonist because it's a chip she got. Okay. From being, uh, what's her name, Oracle, that helps her walk, or and, and it, it 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 downloaded her consciousness, and now a separate entity. Okay, it exists. Uh, what's that? Fan, what's that? Ghost in the Shell type stuff. Okay. All right, that's all. If I'm you say so, Vernon. Um, yeah, just, now you don't have to read Secret Origins. <laughs> so, but I, I just feel like the comic's not going anywhere. We haven't really defined uh, Bar- the new Barbara Gordon as a character so much as a. Uh, female protagonist, and I feel like will there be time for it? They, they pack a lot in each issue. Uh, perhaps uh, you could eliminate some plot or two out of that, and perhaps develop her more as a character that we actually can touch with. Perhaps I don't know. Yeah. So then, uh, I just was thinking about that today. I think because uh, Vernon and I actually do a outline for the show now because we're very professional. We're trying. I was, I was thinking about it today. Uh, with um, Abigail and the Snowman, Roger Langridge's new one from uh, Kaboom. And it's very much like Snarked in that it has a strong female protagonist. And, um, you know, that's about it. I mean, it's just got a strong female protagonist, and it's really cool. Works as a kid's story? At this point, it works as an adult story. Oh, good, good. That's the best kind. I think And, um... He's been doing this for four years now. Uh, longer, if you want to count Thor the Mighty Avenger. I mean, Snark was about started about three, four years ago. Yeah. And Thor the Mighty Avenger very much had uh, the Jane Foster as the protagonist. And it was not as forced as Batgirl comes off. And, th- and Batgirl's the new thing, um, they were saying. And we're going to actually go out of order here because... It perfectly ties into one of our other subjects, Vernon. Sure, go for it. Yes. Okay, the new DC that's coming this summer. They apparently are the the, the buzzword is Batgirl. For they're going to Batgirl all the characters. They so, they beat they beat these horses to death. Every you know Harley was hot last year before Christmas. I swear we got more Harley comics than I can fucking wipe my ass with nowadays. So it's like every time they get a hit, they says, "Hey man, we're going to multiply by six. And you're going to eat it. Well, that's Marvel's formula, but that th- th- that's a problem because if you get one good book, it kind of hurts the good book. Whatever good measure a book can get can easily be lost through endless repl- replication. Yeah, it's it's perplexing <laughs> to yeah, say the least. You know, yeah. why do they do this? Why why do they uh, just keep making the same mistakes or worse mistakes over and over? Uh, what what was the big joke? Uh, well, I'm sorry. Were you uh, continuing on with the girl no. comics? No. Okay. And what well, the big joke today We're was the into onslaught convergence and secret wars. Yeah. T- today or yesterday, I forget what it was. They revealed some of the new costumes that the Trinity will wear after convergence. And man, do they suck! It oh, is the terrible. Most, you know, it, it's freaking. It, it's ridiculous. They even got Wonder Woman into one of those ridiculous Nehru collars that they j- retrofitted on the Justice League when they relaunched them. And I was like, really? You know, I mean, these are really bad. Batman looks like that character out of Appleseed. The anime, Japanese anime, and uh, it's just it's just rough stuff. I don't know, and but the- it's very strange in that. Um, 
mean, how do you even describe what they're trying to do? What are they trying to do? They're, it, it, DC has now gotten to a point of, I, I have complete disinterest in Secret Wars from Marvel, quite frankly. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, especially with the secrecy. I don't care. But DC has gotten to a point now where they're desperate. And that's oh, a little bit different. Yeah. That is a little bit different how desperate DC is coming across. Yeah, the, the, the whole relaunch of the line yet again from both companies at the same time in the summer of 2015 um, is just like an implosion. It's almost like a uh, the Armageddon of everything we've feared. Like, And I joke about it. We used to joke about it, but then it got seriously. Like, you know, okay, it looks like the second, you know, the Silver Age or whatever it is is over. Superheroes are, they're, they're being, what do you call that, um, Let's put it this way. DC and Marvel have a monopoly on superheroes, right? That's the number one predominant food in the chain, as it were. So if they implode and make – because no one else can succeed with superheroes. I think it's safe to assume that no other company has successfully done a superhero comic other than Marvel and DC. So that's why the other ones avoid them entirely because it's a waste of money. But if these two collapse like that, it's just – it's truly amazing because uh, they're they're more successful in driving off readers nowadays than they are attracting them. And surely they – but sales say otherwise. Uh, they're selling more, but they're selling more to retailers. So I don't know what that has to say about it either. Are retailers unloading all these copies? They're, the circulation's going up steadily. So we can say that the quality is going down, but the numbers are going up. Well, who's buying these comics? Not people in my shop, darn it. Well, we need- you- you wanted sure. this on the list. Um, yeah. And I wanted to bring up this idea that they're both desperately trying to show off for their new corporate overlords, and it's not happening for them. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, there's just like a, a – who's that? Uh, Jim, our friend, he, he always called the New 52 the uh, emperor without clothes. And I'm like, well, he's down to like bones, you know, and muscles now. There's really, there's not barely structure. To there's the nothing people. going on with. I mean, they've given up. Um, they've they've given up, and they're trying to escape having to say that they gave up. But nothing in the new Fifty Two. Uh, what's been an actual hit? Batman. Batman was always a hit. Batman will always, always be a hit. hit. Rob right. Liefeld is correct. If you brag yes. about doing well on Batman, you're not really bragging. That's like saying you do well on Wolverine. Yes. Everybody does well on Wolverine. Well, you know, and that's the thing. These guys are desperate. And and, and I'm not going to go into details about the trade terms, but DC is probably offering uh, the new line of comics to us as retailers at the cheapest I've ever seen them offered to me in my 19 years of business. So they're paying me to get their stuff on the stands, and they're and they're making it all fully returnable quite easily as well. So it's just they bought they, they've I don't know what to say in retail when you buy space. You know, essentially they never really did that before, but I can honestly say that DC is buying space now. So Marvel they they're in number one position. They don't have to do that, but again, Secret Wars isn't really exciting any of us either. I mean, a lot of people are asking, "What about Secret Wars?" But Marvel is so obtuse and mysterious about the entire preposition that you wonder well, what the, what the f you know what I'm saying? Well, Secret Wars being Marvel doing Crisis twenty thirty year oh good god thirty years after DC did Crisis. 30 years. 30 years. And this is basically what it is because um, there were no real long-lasting impacts from Secret Wars, the first 
miniseries because it was about selling toys. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't about comic. <laughs> you know, if there had been a crisis line of action figures, I think DC would have done really well because, uh, and we might catch some fire for this, but. Uh, DC readers to me in the eighties always seem to trend a little older. Yeah. So Still do. Yeah. if you were able to, if you had created crisis on infinite earth's action figures, I think DC would have been able to create the, uh, 35 year old action figure purchaser, uh, category a lot sooner than, uh, it took in what the late nineties. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just all about commercial selling of comics. It had nothing to do with anything you'd want to actually read or read second time. You know, you, you would never read Secret Wars So wait, twice. you have not seen my post on Facebook, have you? Not yet. There is an audio reenactment of Secret Wars. No shit. No shit. And I told everybody on Facebook to buy it for you as a present. Uh, well, that makes, <laughs> to say the least. Well, you know what? That's a good way to spend an hour. You know, just listen to that. An hour? Are you kidding me? It's probably seven freaking hours. Well, we'll we'll see how long I can get through it. I don't know. I didn't finish. Well, if work. anybody gets it for you, that is. That's cool. I like that. Thank you so much. But now that actually brings us to a nice uh, new topic of the end of the superhero era. Yes. Which With is the, your the, topic? And, yeah. Uh, I can lead off into that. Well, you know, and a lot of this commercial stuff we've been talking about here leads right into this because they have essentially mutilated and cut off the arms of their own companies here at this point. They still sell, and I'm not sure whether it's the uh, just the tendency of the American population to keep buying something that they're so comfortable and familiar with. Uh, but a lot of the customers in my shop are, are branching out. And they're buying a lot of other books. Now, it, and what's unfortunate is these companies seem to be the worst – caretakers of their own mythology these are <laughs> these are these are valuable valuable you know what do you call what, what's this word uh, intellectual property intellectual They're valu- properties Right. It's great. Anyone would love to have these things. You know, I mean, these are so unique and different. And yet they're like, let's 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 fuck it all up and throw it on the fire is sometimes I'm getting when you see Secret Wars and Convergence. I mean, Secret Wars is putting out so many Secret War titles. I'm like, well, God help me. I hope they're not publishing any of the regular line because my customers don't have enough money for all this shit. You know, I'm serious. And they're not going to drop what they normally buy to go get like five fucking Secret Wars titles. So and then it's kept capitulated. In, in, in image, okay, we love image. They're innovative. They push a lot of guys out there. But they're coming up with, what, 8, 10, 12 new number ones a month? I, I, yeah, I don't have rack space for all this. I can't do this. And people can't buy that many books. So there's got to be a balance there, too. So we're talking about the big, ugly nuclear meltdown this summer. So it's happening. You know, I'm not going to be the doomslayer. But uh, if anyone could kill – it's ironic, right? You look at how the first superhero – era ended end of world war ii innocence of america's gone whatever they don't want to read superheroes anymore right and then they come back in the late 50s and are relaunched successfully and and they're updated and that gives people a reason to read them because they're not like old antiquities they're kind of current updated mythology and that went on until now and the reason isn't economic comics are doing better than ever it's not that people don't like superheroes or want to buy superhero comics i've got a shop full of motherfuckers it's that the, the DC and Marvel don't know how to publish superhero comics anymore. They're corporate overlords 
or whatever godforsaken reason they have, I just don't understand how to fucking publish comics anymore. And it's really weird. It's it's mutated beyond something that I can understand. But uh, you know what? There's still enough to buy. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to get myself an escape hole here. You realize I'm a uh, retailer. Yeah, Vernon has that problem where he has to be positive when he. That's why it took us so long to get a podcast, folks. It took me this long to get him this positive. <sighs> yes, this is true. Just ask my customers. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. We, it's, uh, it's crazy, but go ahead. All right. So the thing is that we're moving to a point where Marvel as a brand is no longer Marvel Comics. It's Disney. It's it's not even Disney so much. It's the movies. Yes. It's God forbid Agents of Shield. It's where's, where's the money? Yeah. Yeah. It's this is what the brand is now. It has nothing to do with comics anymore. It has to do with these other things that are going on, which is totally fine. Um, I am. Vaguely interested, more academically at this point, in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe uh, than I am in in seeing it. But that has nothing to do with the movies so much as the, uh, well, the some of the casting choices. I just can't bring myself to see stuff. But what can Marvel possibly do with the comics that they haven't done? They've been fighting uh, tooth and nail to... Uh, get readers from Spider-Man through all of the 20, through all of the aughts. Like for years we went through uh, Spider-Man things that were horrifying and terrible and J. Michael Straczynski putting Gwen oh. Stacy with the... Uh, Norman Osborn. We had all of these things. Like there's, there's no, it, it can't get much worse than this. Yeah, you're right. It really can't. Except, you know, except when you publish comics that are unreadable, you know what I mean? Like, like, okay. Straczynski, Spider-Man comics, they're barely readable, but a lot of stuff they put out today, you get two or three pages into it and you're like, ugh. you know, I mean, it, it's really, who is it? One of my fellow retailers mentioned that, uh, it's truly embarrassing that Marvel can't put out comics that are that people want to read that that they have movies on, like Iron Man, The Hulk, Spider Man. Well, they're doing all right on Spider Man, but like the X Men, why can't they make these comics uh, readable, succeeding, or whatever? What what is preventing? What, the movies are popular. Why why can't the comics even be readable? I mean, well, let's not forget that X Men. They don't. Well, it's Fantastic Four they really don't have any incentive for. But X-Men, their incentive is questionable. Right, right, right. So, that is what it is. I just feel like, especially with the news yesterday that... uh, What is that one called? Star Wars. They've announced the first spinoff of the Star Wars movies from Disney, I sort of just feel like we've hit the point. It's happened that eh, this stuff doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, No, no, it's, it's a product. It's, it's a product and it's not going to make everybody happy. And who cares? Basically. Yeah. Who really cares? Nobody really cares anymore. So we're done. 
Yeah. And that's too bad in some ways because well, the amount of effort that they use to make these kind of films and all the money and resources that are put into them. Exactly. Make two, films, make two other films that are worth a shit. So, but DC doing this, uh, DC, Warner Brothers not getting rid of... Uh, the Triumph 3 The three, Yeah, the threesome. Not Video. getting rid of Jim Lee, who doesn't even interview anymore, so he's just cashing checks. Dan Didio, who has... You know, I think uh, I think we've gotten to the point where we can say Dan Didio's driven this company into the ground. Yes, I'd say that was a good way to and look at it. And Jeff Johns, who... He's probably the most talented of the three. Most defi- Oh, definitely the most talented of the three, but apparently his eyes are green with dollar signs and has well, I can't say interest. no, yeah, yeah. Hey, what would you say to a move from New York to like Burbank, California? I oh, think I that think that'd go. be great. Let's let's yeah. uh, what? How many people left? I don't know. I'm sure it was at least a hundred or so. You know, just to I move think over. it was yeah. actually more like forty because they laid a bunch of them off first. Oh, okay. But they're adding all these new positions once they get to California, and it's like, okay, so now we have this new sort of product gener- uh, material generating uh, factory factory except you know what what okay so batman versus superman is based on the dark knight returns mixed with a sequel to man of steel so that is a 20 something year old comic and or i'm sorry almost 30 year old comic and a movie that sort of used some of Superman Birthright from 10 years ago or longer. Uh, all of the other properties are being developed somewhat independently. If the Wonder Woman uh, rumors are true, yeah, they have fun. no berry, like there's no comic book background to it. So she won't even be Greek. There's no, these, you know, <laughs> Marvel is, or Marvel at least is using recent stories. DC's sort of... And that is a big difference, that the Marvel movies are made by... Well, they're self-produced, aren't they? Well, they're self-produced, but there's an interest level in the material that uh, the guys who are making the DC movies don't give a shit about DC Comics. They care about the character, and they want to do what they want to do. And... That's how DC movies have been made for the entire length of DC movies. Marvel was the ones to show that you didn't do it that way. But we're getting to the point where these, you know... Okay, so you've got Baby Punisher on underwear. All right. Is that Baby Punisher from a comic? Or is that Baby Punisher from, you know, Netflix Season 2 of Tough Heroes? Well, they more... It'd be, it'd be from Netflix because nobody reads the comic books. Exactly. So now we're getting to the point where these are no longer media properties in the same way. They're media properties in a very different way. Yeah, right. Exactly. They go from being mythology to basically products. Yeah. So what's what what's next? Now, Vernon... I think actually, it's time to start looking at Image Comics. Kid. It's start, yeah. Now, you want to talk about the oh, Image Dark slot, which we will also use to get into our... Uh, our next topic, but yeah, image onslaught go. Image onslaught, I love them. They they have all this stuff. We we argue about the lack of editors and sure, but just the sheer amount of product coming out of them is right. 
is uh, maybe it's a maybe it's a business plan that they're like say hey we get we're gonna force out that rack space we're gonna force out that rack space you know and they're very good about sending us PDFs a couple weeks ahead of time so we can look at them and read them and judge for ourselves whether or not a property that we want to push as a retailer or anything and uh, it's a it's a good game plan but you know what I can't afford it. It's just like they're killing me with – I don't have rack space to fit all these titles, and I'm, I'm actually – unfortunately, here's the bad part is that they're starting to push themselves in the position like DC and Marvel where I have to actively start cutting titles, okay? So you, you see, so what are your lowest sellers? You can't sell everything. So, what's, so they actually choke their own uh, – I'd say smaller offspring off by publishing more titles than their rack can sell. So they got to be careful, I know. Back. Use those editors. Put out more sci-fi. Is that what they need to do, Vernon? Uh, well, the, you know, is that the writers or is that Image? That's the writers. There That's are some, the writers. No except sci-fi, Image is yeah. picking up a lot of sci-fi. I mean, there's no way to and Dark Horse that, and yeah. Oni. Yeah, they're all they're all guilty. Sci-fi is the uh, new zombies, and sci-fi. T- you know, it's it's better because you can do so much more with sci-fi and fantasy than you can with fucking zombies. I mean, thank God for that as a retail. At least I can have different books by different writers and different artists. And you don't just have to sell walking dead. I like that. Well, we actually saw this kind of happening. Cause you and I, uh, Vernon, if you didn't know, everyone is a big fan of, <clears throat> uh Oh, a certain writer when he writes space related comic books. Are you talking about Grant Morrison? I'm talking about Keith Gifford. I'm talking about about 10 years ago, Keith Giffen wrote a bunch of cosmic comics. Vernon was just enamored with all of them. We all like our own porn. Cosmic Keith Giffen. Anyway, it's been a long time coming seeing these sci-fi comics. Like we saw a little bit with uh, Jeff Lemire's stuff at Vertigo, right? That was like a year and a half ago. And we saw a little bit with um, uh, what tales of honor of all things from, you know, trying to uh, turn some other novel series into games of Game of Thrones, except it's sci-fi. We saw it's just taken a (laughs) while. It's taken a couple years, but the it's really started. I mean, there was a cosmic initiative back in the uh, uh, aughts with Marvel trying to sell Quasar comics to everybody. Yep. And uh, what was it? Abnet and Lanning writing all those. And before that, they started on Legion of Superheroes. Space opera. And now we've gotten to this point where, yeah, everybody's doing a sci-fi book. You've got Matt Fraction doing the Odyssey of Sci-Fi. Oh, I'm digging it. It's Which it's Vernon's digging it and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good thing. It's a it is, it's a very good thing. thing that we are able to have enough titles to not care about some of them. Yes, you're very. It's been roughly. a long time since there have been that many comics out. And you and I constantly let titles fall off just because we don't have time. We only have a certain amount of time to read comics. And if you don't keep up the high marks, you really kind of fall off the edge of the cliff, and it's sad, you know. But there's only so much hours in the day. Let's put it that way. Exactly. You know? Well, anyway, should we start bulleting our comic list? So we so we get. I, I love I love this this sci-fi stuff though. This is a new rejuvenation as far because if you need one tacky 
commercial thing to get into. Science fiction is it. You can do bad and good science fiction. And uh, clerks like me will get the good stuff out there, and uh, Andrew will talk about the bad stuff and make sure you about that. <laughs> yeah, I read a lot of the uh, IDW uh, Star Trek. Anyway, so we're we got a big chunk now. of them coming we're up. Yeah, start talking about comics, and we're going to start yeah, with right. something that I don't read. So Vernon, no, you talk you're, about it. Well, Andrew's not a Morrison guy, and that's okay. I'm a Morrison guy, so I read just about anything he buys or re- writes. Um, his new one, Masterman, he got lucky. He got t- teamed up with. DC wonderkind Jim Lee in this tale of master men. I guess it's like what would happen. Uh, it's basically Red Sun. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> well, it is. It is. And, you know, the Justice League being a terror, terrorist organization that fucks with Superman. Okay. Uh, it, it, and it, it, it's it's kind of – it's all right. It's it's like in the middle. If, it's a, if you say a 1 to 10, I'd probably give it a 5 plus 6 maybe. But Jim Lee's art kills it because he's not even really drawing anymore. I mean there's places where you can see he's photoshopped pieces of this or that or he's drawn this field of planes and it's all the same plane that's been made enlarged and shrunk and tacked up all over the place. It's not even really drawing. It's really sound of sad. Um it's okay. It's it's one you could skip. I'll leave it at that. Wow. Yep. Jim See, Lee that's doesn't... why I don't read Grant Morrison because half the time that's what I hear about it. it, it it's like going to Las Vegas. You, you're throwing your dice on the table. You come up either snake eyes or you come up or, or, or sevens. You know what I mean? That, that's how it is with him. So I'm going to talk about Batgirl 39. And I had to bring up the – I post about it because I'm trying to remember what this one's about. It's the latest issue where she discovers the Oracle bug or whatever I'll call yeah, it. Yeah, sort of discovers the Oracle bug. And I was happy to see that just because as goofy as the Oracle bug is, it's kind of Cameron Stewart doing that Ed Brubaker thing where – Oh, this this silly ass story from the seventies with the Falcon and Captain America and Iron Man. I'm gonna retell that. Oh, how many times do we see that at Marvel? By guys and this is just Cameron Stewart doing some goofy ass Batgirl story from the seventies. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, but they're five issues in and you're still I, not caring about Barb's, are you? I don't give a shit about Babs Gordon. I could <laughs> care less. I like yeah. I like what's her face more, Dinah. Oh yeah, Dinah's hot, man. Like, and she's she's not in it enough. It's stupid. I mean, there's like okay, so Cameron Stewart, not somebody I would go to to write a superhero comic. He did a good job with his other comic that he wrote, but it wasn't a superhero book. Yeah. Brendan Fletcher, I believe is the guy who writes uh, rocket girl. Yeah. Rocket girl is very high concept. This bad girl is Batgirl in uh yuppie Brooklyn. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Muppy, well, the, you know, millennial looking, yuppie Brooklyn. I was thinking about editor Dave. Wild goes. You ever hear of him? No, nope. me neither. Um, He's probably to blame for some of the deficiencies. I mean, again, if you have a strong editor, you can, like, work some of these things out by now, don't you think? Yeah, I just, I, you know, it's... It's it's Cameron Stewart, and, and we've got a, we've got him, so we let him do what he wants, so he can, he can bring us joy. Can we have Sea Guy 3 yet, for fuck's and, sake? Oh, 
Only if only if Grant Morrison's writing it, baby. Uh, I know, but still, like, <laughs> all right. So, Batgirl thirty nine is actually when I'm kind of like, okay, I guess I can deal with this. Like, I'll I'll keep going. Vernon's always telling me when it's coming out, and I'm like, I don't. Uh, am I gonna read yeah, it this yeah, month? Yeah, she's on the edge. She's on the end of the precipice. I, I think I admire Batgirl for her technical chops as a comic book more so than I do something I'm actually enjoying reading. It, um, it does have a lot of technical chops, like Babs Tars. Um, oh, she's outstanding. DC yeah. should sign her to an exclusive contract now for the rest of her life because she'll fit in somewhere in that fucking company. You know, the DC – okay, so this harkens back a little bit to our um, – girls in comics thing woo 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 if marvel had the stones or not not even the stones because they do they just don't have the interest no in doing something like bad girl at marvel princess leia would have been the perfect freaking book to put a memberson on how about this camera camera start and babs thing doing Princess Leia. It would have been awesome, but Amy Memberson could do it too. She's the yes. we saw her at uh, the con six, seven years ago. She did Muppets. She does illustrative stuff for Disney. Blah blah blah. But it would have been this like very um, enthusiastic sort of girl centered art, which I'm not saying is a bad thing or as a. Are you suggesting anyway. that girl creators should work on girl books? Well, no, not not necessarily. No, what's her face that we saw at uh, C two E two last year who drew JSA? Like, she doesn't need to do that Australian chick. Oh, Nicola like, Scott. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't need to do like a girl book. But Amy no. Memberson's style with like a hard Princess Leia book and it being and Princess Leia being a Disney princess technically now it would have been work. badass. Like it would have been, been so right. weird. And you know what? Unique. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So we're going to move it's on. It's amazing when you can sit around after a couple of refreshments and come up with better ideas than the editorial staff. All well, right. you know what? And I mean, it's kind of upsetting because Amy Memberson, as far as I know, does not work for Disney US. She works for Disney at Italy on their Has comics or some such thing. Oh, good for her. She gets to live in Italy and draw. No, Disney she now. draws here, but I think she gets published in the international market that's still existent for Disney books. You know, it, it's funny how we have uh, – Disney has a market overseas that they don't have here. It's truly amazing. There are no – well, there will be. Boom is doing Disney comics coming up in a month or two. Uh, Boom is, not Marvel. It, no, no. What? They didn't – well, why Why would you bother? You could just have someone else license it and do it. Really? I think well, a, I mean, yeah. Boom lost the Disney license. They were doing that for a few years. I, I, think it, I think it was Boom. might be IDW, but I think it's Boom again. I could be wrong. Slap so. me in the head later. Um, either way, they got the license. They're going to do a monthly, and there's like three or four monthly titles, and I'm thinking that's an onslaught because American people just don't read Disney no. comics anymore. No, no, unless got, it's Roger oh. Langridge doing the Muppets. <laughs> and then I'm pushing it, baby, let me tell you. All right, now yeah, Vernon's going to talk about – The Muppets are Disney. Ugh. They are Disney now. Vernon's going to talk about eight. Eight. Eight is one of our science fiction entries. Um, it's kind of a fast-paced, uh, melodramatic, almost television-like fantasy thing involving a, a, a guy who's sent either into another dimension or across space. I'm not quite sure. And uh, what it lacks in meat, I think for me, it gains with uh, Raphael Albuquerque's art, which is always kind of spot on for this kind of stuff because 
if if you look at his stuff, I, I don't know if you read eight yet. No, you really ought to put it on your hit list because when when we talk about like you're going to talk about cluster next. When I'm saying about a penciler and an inker that's got some, uh, how would you say? Um, juice to their artwork. This is where Albuquerque helps this weak material is by providing a lot of visual uh, accoutrements for it to hang on. And it's successful in that thing. I mean, I think eight by uh, Mike Johnson and him are fine. It's going to be a mini series. I think like five or something like that. Maybe, who knows, maybe eight. Uh, um, <laughs> sorry. But uh, anyway, the first issue is fine. It grabbed me. You know, it does what a first issue should do, which is what so many first issues don't. It takes you, it gives you a, ho- a good chunk of the story, and it makes you come back for more. And I think as a successful commercial art project, it was good. Okay, so, yeah, next I'm <laughs> going to talk about Cluster 2, which is a sci-fi comic. Another one. Another one from Ed Brisson, who Vernon and I uh, really like. Yep. From his Sons of Anarchy and from some of his other work. And he um he's doing this sci-fi book. It's a little bit Starship Troopers, a little bit Bitch Planet, a little bit something else. He's got Damien Cusiero doing the art. Uh, you know, it works out. I liked the second issue a little bit more than I liked the first one, just because I felt like the first one had a certain amount of... Maybe its weakness for me was the setup. Yeah, it had a lot of setup in the first one, and in this one we don't have so much setup. We're we're moving on, and we're showing that we're going to keep moving. Yes, and that was cool. And um, you know, I've I've mentioned it before, but my one attempt at doing a comic book, Damien Cusiero was involved with it many a year ago, so I'm a <laughs> little partial to him. But he has gotten better. And I, I dig his sci-fi style. I dig the little bit different that it is. The uh, the unfinished aspect to some of it, while it's very finished overall. I dig it. Yeah, I, I, I comply and uh, comprehend on that one totally, because uh, he's become what I think is a very good journeyman artist at this point. He's done a, a lot of different subject matters that I've seen. And he, you're right, he's really well suited to sci-fi because he's got like little imaginative characters and takes on their little visual aids and stuff like that. Now, when I say when I, he, hopefully he'll get like, how do you say, a little more personality to his, his pencils. Because being a journeyman status to me is like he's, he can do it, but what does he bring to the table otherwise in terms of like a personal style? That's or, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, and, I and, agree with that. There is a lack of... The next level. I don't I don't know if it's so much... I think a lot of it can be... A lot of it depends on how much you get paid and how much time <laughs> you spend on a page. I mean, I'm going to go on his defense there because, you know, if you say, okay, I'm paid this much per page or this much, I'll spend the extra hour and, and take it to the next level. You know okay. what I mean? And I, and I think he... Uh, each artist may have worked out a package deal where they illustrated miniseries and they already got a, a plan and timetable set up. There's a lot of factors in it. I can't blame Cousier at all. I think he's great, and I'll be looking forward to him finishing the series. I'll be there. So, yeah, I think that... Eh, I don't know. 
I don't know how much legs Cluster has. It are, is sci-fi the new zombie in terms of sales as well, or just in terms of interest? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a toughie. Uh, one of the problems of having a, a science fiction explosion is you have to compete with other science fiction titles. Right. And uh, lacking a big-name artist, which what eight would have with Albuquerque, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and Dark Horse, admittedly, it's going to be a tough sell. And I think that's a good reason for a mini um, that uh, you got five and you're done. And that's the way it should be on something like this. Yeah. So uh, next up, Vernon's going to talk about Dave, which I also haven't read because, you know, just haven't. So you haven't. You haven't read. I Dave. haven't read Dave. No. You either like Dave or you hate it. I think from the reaction of my customers in my store, it's a. It's kind of like a post Magnus robot fighter. You know what I'm saying? Where humans have lost the battle and robots have taken over, and then they've gone on to take over the galaxy. And so, what happens in their natural revolution is they start acting like humans again. So they imitate humans, and Dave is kind of like a modern social satire about what happens to a. Once grand warrior robot, once he's forced to eat out a living among the slags and get married and have his 1.2 children and whatnot, you know. And it succeeds as nice social parody. Uh, the artist on this, let me think about this. Uh, Valentin Ramon, one of those classically trained Europeans, I think. Okay. Kind of hits the spot. He's spot on. The, the energy is there. He gets just enough detail to make it convincing. He's got a good colorist. And the story by Ryan Ferrer. And, you know, I'm not sure if this is a property or not already. You know, something in the back of my head tells me this may have pre-existed. I believe it was a webcomic. You think so? Is there, So it's already been published? I believe so. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe so. Yeah, that's what I was thinking anyway. You know, I said, you know, I, it was some of my customers were semi-familiar with this already to some degree. So I'm like, okay. So maybe it is. Maybe it has been printed digitally already. I'm not sure. But I thought it was fun. It was a lot of story for the money. You got an awful lot to read. And uh, perhaps one could argue that it's not covering material that you haven't already found. But the execution between the writer and the artist here is really good. I mean, the writer the writer brings a lot of uh, situations to the table that the artist depicts perfectly. And that gets it past its what you call standard, uh, you know, prototypes, as it were. Right. Yeah, a good book overall. That's cool. Yeah, it's on my list. Um, Okay, Descender, which is another one Vernon told me to read because I felt so burned with, uh, what was that one for Vertigo? That Jeff Which one now? did the sci-fi one that I liked so much of, and it burned me that yeah, I would not have read this. Couple issues, yeah, yeah. But Descenders, this really cool. Well, it's Dustin Nugent doing this sort of watercolory thing. That it, it, if you've seen the movie AI, it seems like it's going to be a good version of AI. Yeah. Um, and Lemire's text doesn't get in the way of Nugent's art. It's just really cool. There's some surprises just in one setup issue. It's very cool. Um, I'm curious to see how far they can take it. 
Uh, oh, it's, yeah, I don't know if you could do this very long. I think this definitely is a beginning and an end. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see that. But so far, it's really working out. You know, one could arguably say it's probably some of the best art. Nyan, I think his name is yeah. Dustin Nyan. Yeah, he, he, it's probably some of the best stuff I've seen by him because he's got a balance between his paint program and his actual draftsmanship and his right. pencil stuff. It's really nice. Yeah. How was the script for you? How was what? The script? The script. Uh, you know, it's a little talkative, and I don't trust uh, Jeff Lemire at all anymore. So. <laughs> Once bitten, twice shy. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. It's arguably it's it's pretty close to Spielberg's AI, isn't it? I mean, it's like very close. <laughs> it's very close to Spielberg's yeah. AI. It uh, yeah. and we'll see if, if you know. And it's hard to say in the in the first issue, Jeff Lemire could be pulling the rug out from under us, but we'll see. You know, I mean, Nyan's art will pull me back for an issue or two, but it'll be Jeff's script that ultimately gets me right. further than that. All right, let's see. So let's see another book that you are not familiar with. Because you don't read Grant Morrison anymore, is Nameless Number Two, and you know this is one of those books I recommend to my customers if they're getting sick of Marvel and DC superhero books, because both of these guys used to do Batman when you were a customer at my shop. Grant Morrison is it Chris Burnham? Was he on the book? Yeah, he were... was. Right, right. Where they're both doing Nameless Man, and uh, it's about this like cosmically knowledgeable warrior who goes on this mission. Because he's brought along to save the Earth from this falling meteorite. But it has all these little tangents that relate to something else going on that he can't quite put his finger on. And it's it's pretty wild. And I'd say it's, it's stable Grant Morrison, which means he kind of sticks to a storyline and he keeps you linearly based. But the concepts themselves are helped by Chris Burnham's... Uh, totally fucking crazy visual interpretations, which are spot on and... Uh, narratively good he really he's a good fit for morrison i'll leave it at that Chris but Burnham's a nice really good that that would get me to read it more than one or two issues yeah, uh, yeah. your buddy grant anyway <laughs> listen to you but anyway i found it was a good book and again this is this is perfect for people who want like a superhero mythology book it's not marvel or dc you know these guys used to work for mar for dc so what does that say? Just go over there and buy this for crying out loud. It's so much better than Mario. Anyway, you can have the next one. Oh, yes, I can, because now we're going to talk about what happens when you are Archie Comics and all of a sudden you're kicking ass uh, with one title and you hire the guy who wrote it to be your executive or what is he, editor-in-chief? He's everything. He told me there's like three staffers in this email to everybody. I was like, wow, there's like three or four of you poor fucks out there. I'm like, man, that's tight for Archie Comics. So Archie Comics is sort of relaunching themselves now that they're relevant again, which is fine. It's great. Only they're taking their – they're calling them Dark Circle. What was it, a DC? Red, Cir Red Circle was, I think, the kind of unofficial name of their group of heroes. Yeah. That were initially like spinoffs of 60s type culture when I was a very small boy and then de devolved into a darker mythology. But you know what? There was one group of the 70s called Red Circle and they did some good stuff. Those you should look up and those they should reprint those in a volume if they're smart because those are some truly dark, nasty comics. Well, 
Black Hood is by Dwayne Swarzynski, whose name I mispronounced, and Michael Gatos, who, of course, did Daredevil and uh, Alias. So it's very tough art, very tough writer. And it's this dumb comic about a cop who gets shot or disfigured and is going to become a vigilante, and who cares? And <laughs> it's set in, is it set in Philadelphia? Yeah. I think Philadelphia, yes. And the big deal is, you know, it's it's a realistic portrayal of all the problems Philadelphia is having right now. Or something. And it's just, uh, it's just I wouldn't too say much. that. That'd be, they'd be mean to the Philadelphians. It is very mean <laughs> to the Philadelphians. But it's just, it's just way too much. It's way too... It's like grim Japanese and gritty. Yeah. It's yeah. it's Archie going. It, I mean, it's kind of upsetting because one of the things about Afterlife with Archie and Sabrina that is so effective is that when you remove the gimmick from Afterlife with Archie, when you remove the gimmick from Sabrina, uh, Roberto Aguirre Santos. What is it? Sarcaza, I think. Sarcaza. What he brings to it is a real understanding of the characters. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, Afterlife with Archie works because it's not a caricature getting turned into a zombie. It's this real personification of Jughead getting turned into a zombie. It's making them realistic in a, in a way that makes them very sympathetic. And... Yeah, no, not in the Black Hood. No, not at all. There's no sympathy for the Black Hood at all. Gives a, uh, gives a shit. <laughs> what? They yeah. lead off with the, the comic, with the original Black Hood. You know, I'm going to do a spoiler here, kids. Yeah. Um, Getting shot, and he's like a cipher in his own comic. We're, we're, we're not led to know any more information about the guy, other than the fact that the guy who becomes the new Black Hood killed him with an errant bullet out of his own gun. So what does that mean? I'm like, it has no repercussions. The, 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 the main character is reduced to getting killed in the first few pages, and you don't even know who that is. It's kind of tough stuff. So I don't know if I'd be back for a second issue. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I never actually read the uh, Gatos uh, Bendis Daredevil, so... All of my interest in Michael Gatos's art is academic. Yes, yes. He he can do the job. He does like photo realist shop art, you know. But, you know, it fits Bendis' style to a T because he's all yeah. dialogue based, you know. Well, anyway, uh, Black Hood, definitely not recommended by either of us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you read crim- the criminal one shot? No, I didn't. That's why you're talking Uh-oh, about it. <sighs> yeah, man, that was a good one. Um, I want to try to do this without giving spoilers to Andrew here. How do we do this? Um, you know what? It's a nice dose of Brew Baker as he takes one of the popular characters out of the criminal series and does like a little one-off with him where the guy's got to drag his kid around to him for his rounds one day. <laughs> and it's, it's really nice. Nice. It yeah, it incorporates comic books into the theme because he, he goes to the shop and he buys his kid a comedy, he buys one for himself, and it's like a savage sort of Conan magazine. And, you know, and it's just kind of a nice done in one. And uh, you could, it, it's got enough pages to justify its four ninety nine price tag. Okay. 
And uh, it's a great uh, story about low rent uh, criminal and his day with his child. You know, like it's like take your kid to work day. It's it's great. It's great stuff. So enjoy when you get a chance to read it. That's my attitude. All right. I will. It's it's another one on the list now. Okay, so I get to talk about Ghosted, which is really cool because my post for Ghosted uh, yesterday or the day before for the most part, just whined that I hope it keeps going after this because there's some unexpected things in this issue of Ghosted and they're unexpected because Williamson does such a good job setting up this new arc. And this book is just so different from how it started and how it was the second arc and even the third arc. You don't see this much reinvention of a series... It reminds me somewhat of Lock and Key, but even more so in the way it splits off. And sadly, you don't see it in a lot of Williamson's other art, or other uh, comics. But it was a really good issue. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. The whole idea of reinvention. And and, and we're looking at, what, four solid trades of material Mm -hmm. from the sky now. And, and and from where we started, it was a completely different book, kind of, at least feeling. And then not only that, but the synchronicity that he, he exhibits with his artist, who seemed to be able to creep into the storylines at will with totally different visual styles to a degree and, and flawlessly execute what he needs to carry the story along with. You know? it's, it's very surprising that he has this much success. Um, yeah, the, the synchronicity he has with his artists is really uncanny. It's great. Stuff. It's it, great. Yeah, it, it's a trump. It really is. It's a if you have a, a tendency towards violent, creepy, death-like books, you know, with a, a guy who's an anti-hero. This is this is a great piece of work. It really is. Well, I think I said a while ago that it reminded me very much of a uh, TV show. That Williamson's very good at that uh, with Ghosted, uh, and could be better with it with Nailbiter, of, of, of giving you an episode of a show, or at least, you know, a commercial run from one commercial break to another. And Ghosted, it just is, uh, it's his most successful comic so far that I've read, with the possible exception of Birthright, but it's very hard to say, because Birthright's at six issues, and Ghosted just hit 18 yeah, and they're different beasts. Very different. Yeah, yeah. You know, I actually, well, we'll get into this later. We'll get but into I this actually, in a bit. Okay, we're going to talk about Supreme Blue Rose, which I didn't read because I believe it's Warren Ellis. You got that one correct, yes. It's 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 yet another Warren Ellis uh, kind of formalistic ex- essay on comics, you know, because he's, he's known for those. And, uh, you know, Supreme, Supreme Blue Rose took a bunch of really – horrid, ragged Rob Liefeld characters that were also reimagined by Alan Moore in their run and gets to break them down as like entities within a script and, you know, has them kind of discover one another. And it's kind of a nice synthesis. He succeeds here because he's got Lula Talay, who's a new talent for me, who carries along where you call the weak points in Ellis's script or filling it out, as it were, with her beautiful depictions of these dimensions and qualities of the, uh, the the mind and everything like that, when depicting all these characters, mm-hmm. and this this with this issue finishes it all off quite nicely. I mean, if you're into this kind of thing, 
um, Ellis successfully explores the formal aspects of comics and what it's like to exist in a continuum of reinvention, rebooting, and, you know, so forth. And, and you know, it was a nice exercise. It's not, it wasn't for everybody, but I thought it was really well executed anyway. And just to be fair, I really haven't read very much Warren Ellis. I just... <clears throat> anyway. You didn't read Transmit. I, I mean, I guess we could have talked about Squirrel Girl when we talked about the other uh, girl comics, but it, it's hard to because there were problems with all of those comics, and there aren't any real problems with Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl, if it reminds me, if Marvel wanted to relaunch Star Comics, yeah, this Squirrel would be a... Girl should, you know, run it. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. It's silly. It's really detailed. It's... We're talking about it a little early because Marvel this week uh, released a, another comic that just wishes it could be Squirrel Girl in terms of its exuberance and interest in the Marvel lore and all sorts of things. It's just, it's a really fun book. And it's, it's funny because I know that Dan Slott got squirrel girl back in the public mindset, but it almost seems, you know, to surpass, at least from what I saw, what Dan Slott was able to do with squirrel girl. It, it's like she Hulk when Slott did it, 12 years ago today with less superhero cameos. Yeah. With less superhero cameos. You're right. right. It, she and her roommate carried the entire issue pretty much. Uh, and it, it's really good loopy fun. And it's, and it's a total synthesis of indie sensibility to write a really detailed comic and not worry about the contrivances of Marvel plot or story or anything like that. And just carry it through for an issue on what most people consider an impossible um, premise, you know, she she gets this idea in her head that Galactus is coming to Earth and she's the only hero that can fight him. And I'm like, you got to go with this, you know. And what does she do? She breaks into Stark Industries to go make herself some Squirrel Girl armor to take on Galactus. Ah, oh, it's so silly. <laughs> it is just so silly, like like total. What do you call that? Indie sensibility thrown into Marvel. It's one of those fun comics, you know, that Marvel doesn't do uh, and often enough these days. So uh, next up, Vernon's going to talk about one I didn't read: uh, Big Man uh, Plans. Yeah, Big Man Plans. Eric Paul, um, the big man behind the goon, which kind of I think is kind of run its course for me anyway. I don't read any goon comics anymore, but you know, at one time for me, Eric Paul was really a, a force to be reckoned with. And uh, he, he got his talents away on this side project about a midget who's going to commit rage and terror. I mean, it's a great movie script, much in the way of the, what we talk about, what's that guy, Gishler? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like a B movie yeah. script brought to life with a midget from hell, as it were, who's going to wreck rage and terror against people who cross him. And it's pretty R-rated, but uh, it's great black humor. It's great Eric Powell. It's great midgets. It's great violence. It's great really strange sex. Uh, you know who you are. If you've heard what I just said about this comic, go buy it immediately. What can I tell you? <laughs> 
You know, I have not read enough Eric Powell. Um, I just wasn't the right whatever for the goon, and it's just been a hard one to motivate myself to try and track down. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's there, but once you're in, you gotta go the distance, which is gonna command like a good thirty issues or so. I think okay. I, I think I went thirty or thirty-five before I jumped ship. Anyway, <laughs> it's so good to see Eric on a better project that's got some freshness to it. And uh, Big Man Plans is is the totally offensive black humor book of twenty fifteen. Vernon's been waiting for everybody. Yeah, this this is the kind of shit that I love. So. Next up, I'm going to be talking about Gotham by Midnight 4, which is still by Ray Fox and uh, Ben Templesmith. And it's got a giant specter fighting in Gotham like Godzilla. And after one, number three had some issues where I felt like it seemed like the art was not going to be able to deliver on the concept, but it really does this issue. Uh, Again, there's, it's not long enough. Really. It, it's another one of these books that is trying to be a police procedural television show but coming in at like, you know, 25 minutes instead of 40 in yeah. terms of how much uh, bang you get for your buck. So, uh, you know, Gotham by Midnight is, it, it still goes. It still is working out. Yeah, I was I was rather afraid. I didn't get to read the issue, but I did flip through it. And I was worried that Temple Smith wouldn't be able to deliver. Like, I didn't get to read it, but I'm I'm like he's got to do these big double page, uh, double panel per page things and single page, and I'm not sure his artwork is going to be terrific enough to get through that. I want to I want to read that issue and check it out, but I'm I, so far it's been one of the more unique books on DC Stable and definitely worth looking at. That's for yeah. Sure. All right, so you're going to talk about a book that I've been meaning to read for however many years now. Well, God, there's just too many good books, man. I, what can I tell you? You don't have time or the money to read all the good books out there like we tell our wonderful audience out there. Well, Casanova, you know, I hate to say it, but Matt Fraction is starting to move into the big leagues for me because he's been able to keep Casanova going for years now. And I, the second issue uh, is more to the first. Good solid plot. Uh, good artwork by Fabio Moon, I think it is. Better double check. Thank you. And uh, Arcedia, too, continues the plot perfectly. It's almost seamless. And uh, you you have to admire the the way these two, like, you look at writer and artist combinations and whether their synergy follows on the same path. And when you got an artist who's doing eight to ten panels or page plus and following your script and depicting it perfectly, I'd have to say these two are in perfect sync with one another. And uh, Casanova, so far so good after three volumes plus and not slowing down at all. And again, we have the problem of the uh, short backup stories, which are wonderfully uh, executed and work well. But I'm afraid they kind of work like uh, Beto Hernandez stories on most people because they're not familiar with the history of Casanova and are left behind. But I just tell them to read them and enjoy them anyway, just for the abstract little masterpieces that they are. So Casanova gets a plus rating for me as far as... uh, 
making it uh, something you should be curious about. I mean, uh, what's his name? Casanova is a uh, time-spanning, dimension-jumping, James Bond type of character with family issues. And uh, his parents, uh, his father's always the head of the Secret Service Agency of one part, but his sister develops multiple roles on both sides of the coin, depending on where he's at and everything like that. So it's uh, a lot of Freudian complex issues, but uh, a fun book. And uh, those of you know that uh, Matt Fraction is definitely uh, one of the people I will watch from now on. You get Tooth and Claw now. I get Tooth and Claw. <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's called the Autumn Lands Tooth and Claw, Vernon, because, you know, they didn't check the uh, copyright. Uh-oh. So Tooth and Claw 4, uh, you know, the first issue was awesome. The second issue wasn't. The third issue was good. This fourth issue is setting up the comic that, <sighs> you know, it's hard to say it's going to be awesome, but it's definitely going to it's definitely gonna work out every month a little bit. I mean, they've set yeah. up the human character with the uh, the dumb kid from the first issue, and they're hey, you leave that cute little puppy dog guy. Yeah, around. they're exploring the world, and it's just cool, and it's just <sighs> uh, Busick clearly. Oh, right. Don't you remember we figured out how to pronounce his name right, and we've been doing it wrong? Do we? Busick. Oh, Busick? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I was at Busick. I thought it was Busick too, but I feel like we talked about it on an episode once. Anyway, he's got, you know, he clearly has a whole mythology figured out for this series, but he doesn't go on and on about it. We just get enough of it that we can get through. And it really works out. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, in some ways, it's so pretty, thanks to the Benjamin Dewey art, that it's, uh, that's almost distracting from, well, I don't know, maybe Busiek is just, uh, he just knew how good of an artist he had. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's definitely got a stripped-down style. By the time you get to the fourth issue, he definitely had, doesn't have that layer of detail that it exhibited on the first issue, which is perfectly natural. And, uh... Yeah, he can get through this. I, I like in, in your blog review, you say he's like, he draws these beautiful anthropomorphical creatures, and it's true. He studies their limbs and how they move and everything like that, and they're really quite beautiful drawings and designs. And the human is just very stiff and posed and uh, not quite particularly. Yeah. Well, he, he's he's the main character so far, so you have to draw him, but you think there'd be a little more panache involved, as much with the animals anyway, but not, right. not quite thing anyway um yeah yeah i mean autumn lance is a very pretty well-told story um i'm not sure that i'm really on board with who i care about i i guess maybe that's its biggest flaw for me i I mean i wonder how long it's gonna go on because if it doesn't go on too long they can get away with us not really caring about anyone yes that's very true there's no one to carry dog except for the puppy dog guy i like him (laughs) there you go i don't want to see him die okay so anyway, I got to do the next one. Now, we don't put too many Marvel or DC titles up here just because most of them just don't make the make the cut. But Suiciders, I'm going to be generous with on, uh, let's see, what is our creator's name? That's Lee Bermejo. Okay, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's Spanish, I think. And uh, he's generally an artist, but he got to write a Vertigo miniseries that he's producing called Suiciders, which is kind of, I'll, I'll call it your basic John Carpenter B-lister movie script about cybernetically enhanced humans who battle it out for the entertainment of the masses in the future type storyline with uh, its usual sociological uh, 
impingements and whatnot. Uh, what really gets you through this story is Bermejo's absolutely wonderful, gorgeous artwork, which uh, I swear, what do you call that? This is the type of stuff you get into because you're into those um, Terminator comics. This is uh, this is, this guy did Terminator. They can't afford to have Bermejo on Terminator comics, but if they did, this would be it. And uh, I think it's uh, it's a direction for DC. Uh, it's by the Vertigo label because he owns it and um, it has violence, I guess. But um, I'm thinking it's stronger than a lot of their regular titles. So I put it on the regular racks and I just don't let kids buy it. That's basically it. But uh, a DC comic worth buying, kids. You get the next one. This is yours more fun than mine. One. Rat God. Okay, so. Richard Corbin. Rich Corbin doing five issues? Five Probably. or six. It's a few. I, I got five. And, you know, Corbin did some stuff from Dark Horse. It was really cool. He was adapting uh, Edgar Allan Poe or something. Yep. He's done Poe and Lovecraft a lot. Yeah, but now he's doing Rat God, which is definitely Lovecraft. But it's also this weird, like... Native American, well, I mean, they even sum it up as that at Dark Horse. Lovecraft meets Native American legends. It's just this weird, awesome Richard Corbin book, and you just are reading it. And I mean, I know Richard Corbin's 74. The average <laughs> reader does not. But if Richard Corbin's still coming up with this much good stuff at 74, it's kind of like... You know, Stan yeah. Lee wishes he was coming up with this good of stuff at 28. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is absolutely true. I mean, a lot of people beat Rich Corbin because of his uh, patterns. But you know what? It's 74 and you're still coming up with the goods. Ugh. And I mean, it's just gorgeous art. Like, it's Richard Corbin doing lush green landscapes. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. He, he's it's got full a color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's it's really what do you call that? Uh, it's real great eye candy, and he's got like weird weird sexual fetishism that mm -hmm. goes on in all of his stories too. That are, are pining underpinings of it, and 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 they have this weird energy to them that a lot of comic stories don't. Let's put it that way. Yeah. All right. So you're talking about Hawkeye, which I failed to read. You know. I didn't fail to read it. I had to read it because, you know, we're, we're waiting. Like, this got published before the other Hawkeye finished up, which is rather unfortunate because I think it's meant to carry on after the last issue of Hawkeye, unfortunately. But for some reason, Marvel said they didn't want to wait to publish it anymore. And it's okay. It's um, It gets a 5-6 on a meter of 10 for me. Um, let me see who's the creators here. We got oh, Jeff Lemire. We were talking Jeff about Lemire's him earlier. Yeah. And he, he gets lucky, he gets paired up with this guy. Is it Ramon Perez? I don't know if it's Ramon. I better check that real quick because I don't get the wrong Perez. But um, there's there's a narrative that goes back and forth uh, between past and present Hawkeye. And uh, we get another Barney Clint story about their abusive drunken father, which kind of bored me, but it was really nicely illustrated by Perez. And then he imitates Aja in the current sequences with both Hawkeyes who are invading a Hydra castle. And while it hits all the perfunctionary notes, it is a perfectly, adequately done comic that is okay, but utterly empty. And uh, it, it hits all the right numbers. I think it succeeds more than your later Howard the Duck, well, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, 
better, produ- better produced anyway. Let's put it that way. So next we're going to talk about Crossed plus 100, and we're talking about it together because we can't resist. No, it's too good. It's too good. It's, ah, how do you even explain this? And we say the same thing every episode, guys and girls. Yeah. Sorry, but it's Alan Moore taking Crossed more seriously than anybody else ever has. More seriously than Garth Ennis did. Because Garth Ennis didn't actually put this much thought into the first arc. Garth Ennis no, he, was too concerned on the chick and the dude and the kid. Yeah. This he is, was this too is lots concerned of chicks on and the little stuff. This is Alan Moore recreating... Uh, I mean, The post-apocalyptic, yeah. I can see... I mean, I can't because Alan Moore would probably never sign off on it. But couldn't you see Walking Dead... TV going, hey, let's buy Cross plus 100 and just do it Walking Dead plus 100. You know what? It's it's made for it's made for TV. It's made for everything. Alan it's Morgan so good. And let's not forget it as a female protagonist. Yes. And she is so cool. And, you know, not cool in a uh, action hero kind of way at all. She's a witness to everything that goes on around her. And, and yet every issue ends with the same seg. Yeah. Uh, more later, more later. And it's like this lyrical exercise that goes through the paces and then each issue lets you off with this wonderful crescendo of her recounting the day's events and how she emotionally reacts to them. And they're just unbelievable, lyrical, satisfying pieces of ballet. Especially this one, especially this issue, which has no bearing on like an action story at all. And what I can't believe is that Avatar had enough confidence in Alan Moore to put the money behind this book. Oh, and this artist, he must have cost a penny or more than their regular guy, even though his name is like everyone else's. Gabriel Andrade, we're going to have to remember him. He is He's tits, man. He's tits. They didn't think Max Brooks was going to sell good enough to put this guy on that elimination parade or whatever it was called that oh. I read three of because it was so late. But, I mean, this is just a great book. Yeah, this is just one of the satisfying reads of a comic book, and I I almost feel sad because cross stories don't end well, and uh, I feel bad because I'm really growing to rather like all the characters in this I book. I know, and he now, just introduces more nice uh, characters in this one. So, what is the What's the name of the protagonist? Future. True. Future. Yeah. Just perfect for a TV show, but anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cross. Cross 100 Plus is an R-rated plus book for violence and sexuality, kids. So don't buy it from your dealer or he'll get arrested. Um, But it's worth all of it to the rest of you. Anyway, we had to get that rant off because Andrew's going to finish up with a rant of his own here, I think. Howard the Duck. By Chip Zdarsky. Yep, Vernon's holding up a copy of it right now at me. So Chip Zdarsky, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing, also does uh, the art, not the writing, on Sex Criminals, which I gave up on after one issue, though people have told me to try it again. (laughs) But I assume he has a fair amount of indie cred, which is important when you're going to put him on Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck is a – 
I wouldn't call it a mad magazine of the Marvel universes because it deals with the movies and the animation studios and everything else. It's not even a cracked magazine of it. It's just like somebody was told Chip Zdarsky to come up with a bunch of pop culture and Marvel movie references and Marvel movie history references. It's kind of like a shitty Lego Marvel comics thing. Because the, <laughs> the Lego things always have this enthusiasm to them because they get to fuck around in the Marvel universe or the Star Wars universe, or the DC universe. They're excited. Chip Zdarsky doesn't give a shit. And Joe Ganones. 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 He does okay. Doesn't yeah. really have anything to draw that's interesting. At, at best, I was kind of like, oh, wait, is She Hulk going to be in this every issue? Because it might be worth it for her page and a half. But then I got to the end of the comic and I, I was looking at Howard and how weird he looked. And I remembered that he looked that weird because of some sort of lawsuit with Donald the Duck, right? And here's the thing. We've got a Howard the Duck comic because, oh my God, he was in the post-teaser sequence of Guardians of the Galaxy and it made almost as much money as American Sniper and blah, blah, blah. And really, when they relaunched his comic, they didn't say to their Disney overlords who they just made, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars for or whatever. Dude, we could have him look like Donald again. But no, not at all. And it's very sad in a way because, you know, Steve Gerber, who wrote Howard for 20 years? Not that many. 15? Maybe, maybe 10. It, it was a lot faster than that. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> when it came back as a Max oh, title, okay. Gerber yeah, yeah, wrote yeah, it okay. again. So, I mean, for 20 years-ish, maybe even 25, 70s to whenever Howard the Duck Yeah, maybe 30, yeah. Out. It was social satire. It was... Uh, It was very um, smart. Yeah. And this comic is for people who thought that... I don't know. It's actually a crossover book. I was going to say, it's for people who thought the G.I. Joe Transformers by whoever the hell did it. And it tied tied into all the action figure bullshit. That that was too highbrow. I mean, this is the lowest. I, I can't. There's going to be an Agent Coulson cameo by issue three. <laughs> you know, maybe with Ming Na showing up in issue two. Like Howard's going to be watching Agent Carter on TV. He'll definitely be watching Daredevil on Netflix. It's just this desperate attempt. To, to do a pop culture comic and it has nothing to do with Howard the Duck uh, and you just are reading it going they really don't care if they get more than six issues of this because they just need that one trade out there yeah it's pretty pathetic stuff uh, 
Howard remains disaffected and boring and tired. And you're like, wow, how, what a sad first issue. And if an editor <laughs> saw this and paid attention and said, you know what, maybe we should just like try a different approach because it was pretty tough. And you know what, I, 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 my heart aches for all those retailers out there who have unsold copies of Howard the Duck and have to listen to me now talk about this book and what a piece of poo it is. Tough stuff. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's just burn them all Isn't he out. a sweetheart, everyone? Isn't he a sweetheart? It was a tough read. It was tired. And there was like one funny joke with Spider-Man and Uncle Ben in there, right? And I'm like, okay, the whole issue can't write on one funny joke, man. There's really just not enough here. And I'm surprised Marvel Green lit this the way it was. It's pretty tough stuff. I mean. They just don't care. No, I, I, you know, I learned that Chip Zdarsky uh, is better off drawing sex criminals. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. anyway, we've got we've got brighter things coming. We've got we we've got through the comics. There was some good stuff. There's a lot of science fiction and girl titles out there for y'all. But we got some TPs we got to mention while we're horsing around here. Uh, I get to lead off with Fade Off Volume One. It's uh, Fade Out. Fade Out. Excuse me. Ed Brubaker and. Uh, Sean Phillips' collection of their first four issues of their groundbreaking title for Image. Um, it is the number two seller in my shop. Not that that should make you want to buy it, but it's about like 19, late 30s studio Hollywood uh, picture type people in situations. And it's just all about like the lifestyle and the personal lives of all these people. And it's just great R-rated stuff. And, and you got two creators at the top of their uh, – Top of their form right here. I mean, I don't know if these two can do better than this right now. This this definitely will stand among some of their best stuff. And at 10 bucks, man, you should just go out and buy this immediately. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, um, we've been hard on Brubaker over the last year. I mean, really, we have. Yeah, we really have. I think we've single-handedly helped him sell books. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, Fade Out's been pretty cool, though, because we saw him burn out on, what the hell was that with the chick? Fatal. Fatal. He burned out on that real bad. He burned out at the end. Yeah, yeah that, that's an amazing visual dictionary of what happens when a writer burns out at the yeah, end. And, and Velvet, yeah. he never really burned on. No. But Ooh, Fade you, Out has been a really great book. It's really, you know, it's just working out really well. Fade out is good stuff. And so next we're going to talk about birthright, which is collected, which is awesome because I've been reading it every, uh, as a monthly, but apparently I heard that Vernon actually read birthright. I read the first trade, yes. He read the first trade of Birthright, which has got to be at least the first four issues. It's, I think it's five. Wow. And so he's read Conan comes back and runs around in an 80s movie with a deadbeat dad. And <clears throat> Okay. What do you think, Vernon? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's not as good as uh, Ghosted. Um, it's good multimedia plot stuff. It's executed nicely. And after five issues, you know, it went by so quick. I did not know I was reading five issues of material. So that's a good sign. Yeah. And uh, even though I'm not a fan of the material, uh, I think it's really well executed by uh, – who's, who's our artist on this? He gets kudos here. Oh, Rassan, yeah, 
Yeah, he, he, he keeps it all believable, and he doesn't indulge in too many of the usual top cow artist antics or whoever, <laughs> whatever studio this is. Because, you, know, well, you know, they get really fantasy silly sometimes, and you're like, oh, really, guys, this is what you're drawing. And you know what? They manage to withhold their more uh, gratuitous excesses for birthright. And I'm not even I'm not even sure if he's a top cow guy. I could be eating my own farts here. But uh you know, he, he gets through it just fine. He he gets through it fine and it's a nice piece of work. It's it's kinda like seamless fiction. Is that a good word to put it? Yes. Yeah. Um you know what? I'd recommend it to people who like fantasy. Because it's just it's got grounded in uh, earth and it's got grounded in fantasy just fine. I think it works very well on that. And is it one of those ten dollar trades? I, My guy, it yeah. is. It is. It is. Well, our next trade on the block is uh, the second volume of Matt Fraction and uh, who's that guy? The Chip Zdarsky. I, you know, I knew you'd remember. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway the, the Sex Criminals Two finishes the second arc of it. And Sex Criminals is a book that you're either on board or you're not with because the characters aren't pretty, the situations aren't pretty, and it's just like what's that word? If you're a voyeur, I think I I think I enjoy beating this reading this book because I'm a bit of a do- dirty voyeur. I like reading about their horrid personal life and their secret powers and the weirdos they encounter. And uh, if I had a good soap opera, this would be it. And I'm addicted to it. I'm not saying it's a perfect comic, but for the people who like this kind of stuff after an issue or two, you know who you are. It's a guilty pleasure. But you get a better book coming up, don't you? I do. I get Copperhead, which is by Jay Faber and – oh, crap. How do we not know this guy's name? Uh, it's Godlewski. Yes. And so God. Copperhead is this – and Vernon and I are both completely not Jay Faber fans. Uh, completely. Just – you know, we we couldn't. I even tried to find other Jay Faber books to like, and I couldn't. I couldn't either. I looked too. <clears throat> what? But what is he got his wife writing this thing? I don't get I, it. Who knows, right? But here we go. Sci-fi book. It's a sci-fi western. It's aliens versus predator. The dark horse book. It's you know colonies and crap, and it's like the old west, and it's it's incredibly derivative and it's awesome and it just works and there's like one bad issue maybe one and a half what out of five i'll take that yeah they're mediocre issues they're still bad and then it comes back just great and i don't know it's it's hard i i i believe faber hung on uh tooth and nail to some superhero book over the years. And I just hope he does the same thing with Copperhead because I can't wait to see what's coming up next. I'm, I'm bitten. I'm bitten. I got to buy this book. Every issue, uh, the cliffhanger was perfect. I, I don't understand it. It's like the perfect thing. If this was a cable TV show, I'd find some way to bootleg it and, and put it on my iPhone and watch it. It's just that addictive and perfectly executed. Like, what'd you say? Science fiction, Western. Yeah, you know this. It's another one of excuse me, images nine ninety nine trades, folks. So don't hesitate. Run to your local shop and get one of these because it's just great. And you know what? You know what's good about this book is that it's good tweens reading too. If you've got like an older yeah. kid that likes comics, there's nothing in this book that would 
hesitate you to want them to read it. It's really, I don't know, mature fiction. I think that's a pretty good way to put it anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good, good stuff. We got some good stuff, man. Good sci-fi. Yep. And next, Vernon's going to go through retro stuff. Oh, it is. It's that dreaded section time filled with old cobwebbed old reprints of shit that only Vernon reads. I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, I picked up some old volumes. I just want to mention really quick. Dark Horse had a sale, so as a retailer, I took advantage of it. I picked up a couple things that were really cool. Archie Volume 1, Bob Montana reprints from 1940 to 42. Archie and Jughead look like really sleazy hillbillies. The visual... Uh, connections between Veronica and Betty who are so much hotter then than they are now is ridiculous. And uh, the only way to say this kind of period piece, I got through the whole volume. I'm not an Archie guy, but it was it was just decent. I don't know if I'd read two, but one was great. And the high point was when Archie, like after a day of, of crazy travails, he just plops down the couch at home, talks to his dad, says, Dad, you know, life is crazy. You know, I think I'm just going to quit high school and get a job. And his dad just goes, and just kind of reads the paper. And I'm like, wow. That one blew me away. Anyway, it, it, you know, it, it, this is just some great stuff. Take it out of your library, for Christ's sakes. Korak, Volume 1. One of those weird little things. I forget who writes these, and you can spank me later for it, but I went on primarily because I'm an Edgar Rice Burroughs fan. If you adapt Edgar Rice Burroughs to comics, I'm just uh, needlessly addicted to it. Um, Russ Manning, one of the best artists in the business who influenced Steve Rude, does Korak at this stage of his career for Gold Key Comics in the early 60s. This is the first eight issues or so of Corex stories. You know, I, I have to say they all follow a similar formula. There's nothing complicated about these things. But you know what? They just satisfy a basic need to read Corex stories about adventures in Africa involving all sorts of shit. Um, I will also mention an absolutely wonderful volume by a local place called Comics, Classic Comics Press here locally outside of Chicago. And uh, they do a lot of reprint volumes of classic newspaper strips. And they did one, uh, it's a reprint of volume one of, of Mary Perkins on stage, which is a classic kind of soap opera newspaper syndicated strip that was in newspapers back in the day. And for those of you who don't know what newspapers are, go look it up. But anyway, this was a comic book strip that appeared seven days a week. And the volume one collects the first year of it or so, including the Sundays. Now, what's interesting about the creator, who was Leonard Starr, was that he had a seamless uh, story that went on, and Sundays were either picked up or not by the local paper. So he had to like create a Sunday strip that fit in with the daily continuities, but yet was separate on its own means and wouldn't be missed if the paper didn't run it. And this strip about the adventures of Mary Perkins, a small-town girl who wins a uh, beauty contest, whatever, becomes a actress in big city New York, is probably the most positive, well-rendered series of all time. Um, Leonard Starr's artwork is gorgeous. Anybody who has any dreams of becoming an artist should definitely look up a Leonard Starr's work. Uh, it, it just it seamlessly runs through. And this latest uh, volume from uh, Classic Comics Press is a really nice reproduction and great stuff for those of you who enjoy it. Uh, Art Wanks, hey, Dick Giordano would love this guy. <laughs> anyway, oh yeah, he, he you know Dick Giordano's good, but man, this guy is better. Anyway, the last but not least on my retro is Inner City Romance by Guy Caldwell. Um, he is of the second generation of sixties slash seventies. He's more of a, like mid seventies underground artist who uh, had a few books published under the uh, Inner City Romance label. I, I think it was like between six or seven, somewhere in there. 
Guy Caldwell was an interesting one who uh, did socially involved stories uh, featuring outsiders of American culture, people in prison, gays, hippies, divorced people, welfare recipients, a lot of outside type of people. He did these kind of dream, dream-like surreal stories involving their hopes and dreams and what their uh, really callous, brutal, realistic lives were. It's just really good underground comic stuff of the witch you'll never see again. Um, and certainly worth the volume. Fanographics collected, and it's a great, uh, great period piece. And I highly recommend it for fans of uh, 70s underground comics. And anyway, that's my retro section, sir. I hope I haven't bored you too horribly. Nope, not at all. Now we're going to talk about TV. If Now, do you want me to start with TV? I, 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 we had not talked about Supergirl. You know, they, they released some images of, of the new Supergirl. Have you seen any of those yet? I those have are, seen uh, them. Have you seen them? I have seen them because they're all over the place. And uh, you're going to get, get in front of a computer more often. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> and uh, she she is possibly the most, I don't know. She doesn't look, she looks kind of bland. I don't know. And then they got a shot of her with the full costume and it's kind of dark. And I, I'm like, okay, it's kind of dark. Um, I'm not sure what to make of it yet. You know, it's kind of funny the way these studios want you to get excited over visual images. It, like they really add up to anything, right? But not impressed with the first visuals of Supergirl so far. Did you get a look at all yet? I did, actually, and I feel exactly the opposite. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like just take the hog here or anything. No, like no, I'm just I'm just thrilled uh, actually for it. Um, I'm an old fan of Supergirl. I wish they found a cuter girl to be Supergirl, but other than that, we we had an argument around the shop about this ridiculousness, and I was like, well, no, she kind of has to be cute, and I was, well, no, she should be the girl next door, and I'm like. Really, really, this girl is the girl next door to you. I go, you lived in a different neighborhood than I did. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. It, it, she seems okay. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I was looking for somebody with a little more. Who was it? They had a, a girl in the 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 the, the super uh, Smallville show, right? Mm-hmm. Who played her, right? She she seemed like a better fit. Maybe I, I hate wrong. to tell you this, Vernon, but from what I've heard, this show is going to be a lot of feminist propaganda. You know what? I like Bitch Planet 3. I can handle some... (laughs) (laughs) So, I was actually thrilled with it. I thought it it was a nice uh, semi-homage to the movie in some ways. And I I was just thrilled with what I saw. The costume. The costume. I think it's got a good vibe. It acknowledges the movies while maintaining a flash-like positivity. Ooh, ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm using big words. Uh, Ooh, man, you're watching big words. Now we're going to talk about something else that I don't know. We had a couple of customers that felt pretty much the same way you did. They liked the vibe of the costume, and they liked that, and I was like, okay. Anyway, iZombie. You know, I don't know much about this. I read a few issues of the Vertigo comic, and I don't know if you were a fan of it. Maybe not. Um, it was a poppy, fun, rollicking book, and I think it'd make a nice TV show, provided they kind of keep the elements in there and keep it moving. And the girl is a spitting image of the comic thing. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, 
I don't know. I want to see the pilot, you know, because, you know, they caught me with the Flash. So if they put that on, what, right after the Flash, then I'm probably going to hang around. It's a good thing I don't have Peggy uh, Peggy Carter, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. to compete with, or it might be a long haul. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about the new DD? Do you have any interest in that? Or oh, I do. I do indeed. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for the new Daredevil. I think it looks pretty awesome. Uh, they they certainly captured a lot of the Frank Frank Miller imagery. They did. Um, I am, of course, noticing that the costume is the same as from Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, hopefully, they'll make some reference to that, but I doubt it. Not um, doubt. Too much baggage. And then, of course, we will have the red costume by the end of the series. What is that? Eleven episodes. Twelve, I think. Okay, because they're going to release them all on one day, and yep. I'm like. God, so we all got to fit. Do you know what day it is that they are released? I don't. April tenth, we will be April racing. 10th. We will start the race to finish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, we'll have a podcast not too long after that. But I got to go steal the kids' Netflix again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch much. So I'm going to grab what I can. Sorry, but uh, that one looks interesting anyway. I mean, I, I was almost like after. After uh, Agent Carter uh, of S.H.I.E.L.D., I was like, oh, what am I going to watch? You know, and there wasn't much around. And, and I, I was almost forced to watch Gotham. I was like, oh, should I check Gotham out? And thank God Daredevil came along so then I can hold off and wait for that. Well, next up is uh, for the finale. Vernon's going to talk about the fact that, what, DC went to three ninety nine on everything newsstand? Well, I don't know about three ninety nine. We're guessing about that. They sent us these wonderful terms with convergence and post convergent titles. So they're gonna be an increase of their big all their big guns are gonna be three ninety nine, I think. I they haven't like officially said anything, but there's no prices attached to anything that they've given us pretty good deals on. So I think that they haven't decided yet. And I'm like, okay. well, where's the price tags on it? Where are you wanting me to negotiate? I mean, if you made these things five bucks, I don't know if I'd go this high, you know what I mean? Or something like that. I don't know. But um, it's, it's just kind of weird because uh, I look at Marvel and as everyone knows that Marvel is all three ninety nine Now you might not, but all of Marvel's no matter what level or premise or level they have are three ninety nine from the lowliest X-Men title to I don't know, Secret Wars are all three ninety nine, And I'm like, well, that's kind of high. And a lot of their books don't sell just because of She-Hulks and um, Ms. Marvels and Squirrel Girls that are three ninety nine. They should be two ninety nine, And they have a lot of advertising and stuff in their 32 pages. And I picked up a copy of one of Image's books, um, They're Not Like Us, which is not particularly good, but... It's 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 well executed enough to be a very good X Men book by Image, which is what I took to all turned off X Men fans. They should read, and it was a twenty four page comic. Now indie comics have done twenty four pages for a while, but this one actually did twenty four twenty pages of story and art, and it continued on the inside back cover, and it was perfect. And I said, "This is great," and it was two ninety nine. It was a dollar less than any Marvel comic on the racks, and it was much more of a satisfying read. And I said, well, you know, they got to be careful. Being number one doesn't mean you can screw everybody up the ass all the time. And there you go. There you go. On that incredibly family-friendly note, we have reached the end of our episode. You know what? They they can't all be family-friendly. I'm sorry. I have a heart. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, next time, well, I don't know. We'll be back in a month. <laughs> Even yeah, we'll be back in a month. Who knows what but... we're talking about then? Um, so go get crossed. Uh, catch up on the Flash before next week. Uh, what else should we tell everyone to do? Oh, I you know just just read good comics, man. I mean, listen to the episode again, write them all down, and go to your dealer and beat him over the head with a stick until he gives them to you. Yeah, go get those trades. Uh, yeah, those trades especially. Yeah, the Chicago Public Library probably carries them. Well, or anywhere life. since we are yeah. a global, we have a global audience. Well, you just certainly have a national library system here in America. There you go. Yeah. Well, okay. I guess that's I guess that's as far as we're going. Unless yeah, you've got you anything good. else you want to. No, no, no. Just read good comics and uh, don't spend money and time on bad comics. And just listen to what I tell you and buy what I tell you, and everything's going to be all right. And buy and buy two of every one of them because you got to speculate. Well, that goes without saying. <laughs> Night, y'all. Night, y'all. <laughs>